Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Hey, I want to talk this morning about a model of a man and... Um, Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll just look at a few passages from Paul. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 11, also in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, and Philippians chapter 3, just to kind of get a theme um, from what we're, what we're going to talk about today. So Paul's dealing with some difficult issues in 1 Corinthians uh, in a church that, in terms of their spiritual giftedness, they're off the charts, but in terms of maturity, uh, they're not quite there. And so he has to deal with certain issues, uh, holiness issues, di- division that's gone on within the church. Some of the division has to do with uh, probably the Jew and Gentile mix, how people are coming from different backgrounds and, and bringing in different um, taboos and things that uh, are their preferences. And so he has to deal a little bit with that. Um, in terms of spiritual gifts, he needs to deal with how they need to promote love and, and not let spiritual gifts become some kind of badge of spirituality that that they lord over other people, but rather that they're to be used in a loving way. And so he comes to uh, the end of chapter 10, where he's talked about some things there, and he comes into an area of the believer's freedom and how we have freedoms in Christ, but those freedoms need to be used with responsibility. And so as Paul comes to the end of chapter 10, uh, he's talking about eating and drinking different kinds of uh, foods and drinks, and he says, so whether you eat, this is verse 31, of 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, he says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, uh, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. We need to read that within a certain context because he's not trying to be a man pleaser. He's trying to do things that will promote the unity and the benefit of the body of Christ. Okay, That's far different from running around trying to be pleasing to everybody, okay? But he says, I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. And verse uh, 1 of chapter 11, this is one of those unfortunate chapter breaks that we sometimes get in the New Testament and the Old. Uh, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so Paul is telling people, uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at look at my example. Look at how I live. And it brings up an interesting question, and, and I want to talk about this a little bit because this is a place where uh, Christianity and culture clash. And I think that uh, we have to ask the question, what does it mean to lead and what does it mean to follow? What does it mean to lead and follow? Can anybody be led in our culture today? Because we have this idea that we're our own person, and, and that's true, and we have a right to be us. And one of the terms that's used to describe our cultural thinking is, is uh, expressive individualism, that I'm an individual, and I must, if I'm going to be healthy, express myself, how I feel, who I am, I need to express that. And it, it bucks a little bit against any kind of definition of human nature it bucks against uh, any kind of idea that I should restrain myself or ever tell my emotions, emotions, you're wrong. 
or if I should ever have to tame my appetites. This culture, in a way, bucks against that. And it says, no, rather, I have to express myself if I'm going to realize the real person that I'm supposed to be. But Christianity teaches us something different, doesn't it? That if we're really to attain to the life that God has called us to, there are times that we have to say no to ourselves. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ. I'm I'm getting into a different message, but uh, one of the things that we need to think about here is whether there is a human nature, an ideal that we can model for other people, or whether everybody is really running their own direction. I don't know if you've ever seen the Monty Python skit, uh, where they, they have a marathon for people that have no sense of direction, and the gun goes off, and everybody runs every way. So just thinking about it, you're laughing because you've probably seen that. They, they're all lined up on the line, but the gun goes off, and everybody runs every which way. Nobody goes one direction. And that, to me, is an apt picture of where we are as a culture, is that we all stand at the starting line waiting for the gun to go off, but we have no clear sense of what humanity really should be because we've disconnected ourselves from any kind of transcendent meaning or understanding of who we are. In other words, we've, we've disconnected ourselves from God who really defines who we are as people, okay? We get our understanding of what humanity is like. If you want to know, uh, Spurgeon said this, if you want to know what humanity is like, you need to look not at man, but you need to look at God who created man in his image. And we've dis- disconnected from that. And so I think there is this understanding of human nature that gets in our way as Christians. And um, that thought is that I'm unique. I have to go find out who I am. There is no pattern. There's no one else who can really understand what I've gone through. Listen, when you hear that, be careful. If you find yourself saying that, be careful. Yes, it's probably true that maybe you've had a sense of unique kind of suffering in life, but you can't ever say nobody anywhere has ever experienced what I've gone through. That's not true. That's a lie that the devil uses to isolate you from the help that you need in the body of Christ. We need one another. And so there is a lie out there that says that. Nobody knows or understands me. It's the old uh, jailhouse blues. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Anybody seen the picture of the guy clanking the cup on the bars, singing that song? Nobody knows my trouble. Uh, There's hundreds of other guys in that prison that know exactly what they're going through. But we feel isolated in our suffering. And we feel isolated because we bought into a version of humanity that says there is no humanity. There's only me in this world. I determine my own truth. I determine my own course. I determine what I am. Come on. You know how far that goes in today's culture, right? That what I think of myself is who I am, not what God said about me. And so we've divorced ourselves from any kind of pattern. And so what looks good on the front, this philosophy, has a back alley to it. We lived by a grocery store when I was growing up. Um, It was Jerry's IGA. I hear they have IGAs in Alaska. I didn't know that. But uh, IGA, Independent Grocers of America. And the front of it, of course, was nice and kept. And you could go in and buy your groceries and get everything you needed. But when you turned the corner from our neighborhood to go to the grocery store, you stared right down the alley. And as a kid, there's a few times I walked through that alley, and it smelled like beer and rancid meat and bananas all mixed together. It's gross. You don't want to eat anything that comes out of the back alley. <laughs> Are you with me? This grocery store on the front. Health and vi- vitality and uh, borrowed energy is all to be found inside, but what's on the backside is nasty. 
and will not provide health. And that's kind of where this whole humanistic philosophy goes, is that it's got an ugly backside to it. Because if you think about it, if there is no shared human nature, then how can Christ relate to us? Come on. One of the ways that we understand he relates to us is that he shared our humanity. But we're saying nobody else knows us. Nobody else is like us. I understand. I'm not trying to deny your uniqueness in God. What, I want, what I'm saying is that while we have a uniqueness, there's also a commonality with us. And that commonality is, I think, the humanity that God has given us. Okay? And if there's no shared human nature, how are we supposed to relate to each other? We can't. And the Bible tells us we're supposed to. We're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to bear one another's burdens. How can we do that if there's no shared human nature? We have to have a shared human nature for that to even be possible. And God's given us an imagination, not so we can think about stupid stuff or destructive stuff. He's given us imagination. One of the reasons I think is primary is so that we can put ourselves in other people's shoes. So we can think, what would I feel like if I were going through what they're going through? And relate. That is, that is sanctified imagination at work. And it's empathy. It creates sympathy with us where we, we feel common things. And so even if you say, I haven't gone through that, there's enough of a, an analogy in our lives that we can sometimes extend that analogy and relate to what other people might be going through. Though we might say to them, I, I can't imagine what you're going through. But there's some sense um, that we can relate but not if there's no shared human nature. And then third, if there's no shared human nature, how are we supposed to have any vision of Christian maturity? Are we all just defining our own sense of Christian maturity, or is there something that's out there that tells us what Christian maturity looks like? Come on, we know the answer to this, right? Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to what? The image of Christ. Okay, so he is our definition of Christian maturity. And so, as I said, I'm not trying to say we're not unique. I'm saying uniqueness is not comprehensive. We share more than we think. And it's why the Bible can say that no temptation has taken us except what's common to man. And how the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And how the Bible also says gloriously that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, being tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Hey, this is the glorious truth of a shared humanity. Um, but if there's no shared humanity, then there's no goal which we move towards. And that's really important to what we want to talk about today on this uh, Father's Day. That goal is Christ-likeness. Augustine said that uh, in his confessions that our nature can be exerted downward in our passions and we become like the beasts. Or it can be exerted upward. Maybe exerted is not even the right word there. Uh, our uh, we can give our nature to virtue and share in the qualities of God. Paul saw it as his mission to preach the gospel and to help people to come to maturity in Christ. And you know that that is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not just to get people saved. Did you know that? It's not. That's part of it. Go into all the world and preach the gospels. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And there's the baptism part too. But teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. The Great Commission's not done until we come to maturity. Okay? Part of what we're doing this morning is fulfilling, I hope, fulfilling the Great Commission. God will be judge on that. But 
that's what we're trying to do today is bring, bring ourselves to a place of maturity as God helps us. Paul saw it as his mission to bring people to maturity, and Christ is the goal, but he didn't mind telling people to imitate him. He didn't mind telling people, imitate imitate me. Look at what it says there in chapter 11, verse 1, as we read, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Other translations say, follow me as I, I follow Christ, and the point is, is that I'm trying to follow God the best that I can, and as I do that, for others who need something visual to stand before them, I want to be that example. Okay. So that's a call, I think, as Christians that we need to take seriously is the, the call to model uh, a behavior that can, be, that can be followed. And this is not just in this place, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you, only have, you, don't, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So, He's saying there again that I'm going to send Timothy and he'll remind you of my way of life and it's going to be consistent with what I've taught. So he's saying again, as a a father with children, imitate, imitate me. This is one of the main roles I see that the Apostle Paul has, but I think it's one of the main roles that parents have for their children, no matter how forceful their kids might say, well, I'm not you. (laughs) There used to be this song back in the, uh, the first decade of the 2000s by Good Charlotte called the anthem, and it was all about, it was punk rock. It was all about rebellion and, and how I don't want to be you. Anything else that you are, I don't want to be you. I don't want to be just like you. Uh, and, and that it was their anthem that we were not going to be like our parents or like our peers. We were going to be ourselves. And that sounds super noble, doesn't it? Uh, but as I said last week, <laughs> I think it was last week, the more you try not to be like your parents, come on, isn't it true? We get to, we find ourselves acting like them. Uh, and so it's better just to focus upon what God wants us to be, the virtue he wants us to be. And by taking our eyes off those secondary things like style and, and who we are as a person and putting them upon virtue, then you can really be the person God's created you to be and excel in that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 is another instance of this. We'll look at these verses a little bit more in just a second. But uh, in verse 17, it says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And Paul is saying here, set your eyes upon me, but not only me, but anybody who's following that same kind of pattern of living. Because there's a lot of other people out there that are living by a different pattern altogether. That pattern that uh, follows appetites and our own uh, inclination towards destruction. He says, follow me. They may have the right words, but their life doesn't match this. Follow those whose life matches this. All right, let's come down to some practicalities. If you're a parent uh, today or a grandparent, you're in a place of leadership. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. You probably thought i got to take care of these kids. I, I don't know exactly what, what you might have thought. But 
you probably thought, I need to take care of these kids. You might have even thought, if you're honest about it, I don't feel like doing the parenting thing today every once in a while. I mean, are there any parents that would say that's possibly true? <laughs> I don't feel like doing the parenting thing today. Uh, if, if you could have, you would have just said, you kids raise yourself today, and tomorrow I'll be back on the job. But that doesn't exactly how it works, is it? Um, so you might not have thought of yourself in leadership, uh, but I think it's, it's up to parents uh, today to pastor their homes. And I think dads who are serving the Lord uh, should take that call up very personally. The message today can be for anybody. There's going to be principles because I think if anybody is following Christ, there's probably somebody you can say to who is not far behind you or maybe very far behind you, follow me because I'm following Christ. And, and that's not an ungodly thing to say because one of the things that we'll do is that we'll call our behavior into check. When we realize other people are following us, it, it brings a level of accountability to how we act because we know they may imitate what I do. And I could be either their success or their downfall in a way. And so it calls us to live a certain kind of way. And so the message is for everyone. So if, if you're not a dad today, uh, don't check out. Don't eat your husband's cookie and, and check out and think about what you're going to do when you get home. Um, listen, because there, there's a sense in which this call is for everybody. What is a model? A model is a, a pattern of anything that's to be imitated. Uh, Noah Webster said in his dictionary, take Washington as a model of prudence, integrity, and patriotism. Above all, he says, let us take Christ to be the model of our benevolence, humility, and obedience, and patience. The Oxford English Dictionary says uh, it's a person. A model is a person or a thing that is an excellent example of a quality. Okay, so... We're not called to be mediocre models, but excellent models. And that means that we aim high in this regard. We don't just settle for, like, I'm just making it. we got to aim high and say, I want to do these things with excellence. And so we set uh, our goal on living a certain way. Uh, and so let me mention six things. I know you're going to say, if it's going to be holy, it's got to be seven things. Uh, but be- to get to seven, you have to go through six and uh, you fill in your seventh if you need to be super spiritual today. So, number one, uh, a good model cares about those who see them. Okay? A good model cares about those who see him. This shouldn't need to even be said, um, except there are so many examples in today's world where this isn't the case. But parents should love their kids enough to want to care about what kind of example they're setting, right? Uh, unfortunately, I know parents that don't. And you do too, probably. They don't care about the kind of example that they're setting to their kids. And they may even say, to dismiss themselves, don't do what I do, do what I say. Okay. Um, and we, I, I think that's a terrible example of what a, a model should be. Paul says this in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. If you look at verse 32... He's talking about an issue having to do with eating and drinking within the church and what that, what that should look like in terms of how we relate to one another. Some people have a problem with certain kinds of meats being eaten, and other people have absolute freedom in eating those kinds of meats. And so Paul is coming in and saying, let's do the responsible thing. And if you want to see the example of what this looks like, follow my example. I'll never do anything that will bring another brother down. Okay, that's the example he sets. He sets. And then he says in verse 32, do not cause anyone to stumble whether... Jew or Greek or the church of God. 
And so his example is that a good model cares about those that see them. I'm not going to cause anybody to stumble by what I do. This pains me to say, but my brother or sister in Christ is more important than steak. Come on, are you with me? And we're not talking about steak here, but Paul's talking about preferences of eating. And one of the things that we love to do in our culture is proclaim the rights that we have and the freedoms that we have. We have the freedom to do this and the right to do that. And, like, who cares what anybody else is going to do? I get my freedoms. And we love to hold up our freedoms, but we don't always think about our responsibilities. And I think it's important as we look at Christ's example that he did what was responsible. Paul's example is that he did what mattered to those who who saw him. Now, one way this may work out is that as as an adult in your home, you might feel like I can handle certain things on TV and not be affected by them in a negative way, okay? Are we all in agreement with that? That maybe you could, but you know that if your kids watch that, it would be detrimental to them. And so, you don't turn that on not because you can't handle it and your your sanctification is going to be ruined by it, but because you know that it will affect them in a negative way, and it may hurt how they develop. Are, are you with me? Okay, are you mature enough to see the distinction? We might, we might think, well, one rule needs to apply to all. But understand that there are places of maturity in which certain things are not a struggle or an issue because you've grown. Okay? And, but for your kids, that would be bad because they don't understand all of that. They just see a certain behavior, and they can't work through that. Maybe we shouldn't watch it all. I don't know. But I'm saying that the example that I'm, I'm talking about here is that you may say, we're not watching that. Not because I can't handle it, but because it's not good for you. Okay? So a good model cares about those who see them. The second uh, thing we see here in verse 33 is a good model has right priorities. Verse 33 says, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of others that they may be saved. So Paul could have easily said, you know what, that salvation thing, that's a secondary issue. What I care most about is me and my comfort and what I want to do and my freedoms. And everybody else, they need to deal with their freedoms and do it their way. Paul's priority is that he prioritizes, and I want you to hear this because it might not register right away because our culture is, we've just taken this in with our mother's milk, that this is the way the culture is, that it's watch out for yourself first. But the Bible says things like, consider others better than yourself. Does that, does that go along with our cultural mantras? It doesn't. <laughs> no, we, we think about ourselves and then other people secondary. And, and what the Bible, what God is calling us to do, what Christ has exemplified, what Paul is showing us here is that over concerning other people, or oh, himself, over concer- being concerned with himself, he, he's concerned for other people that they may be saved. He's thinking about their eternity, not his momentary comfort or happiness or whatever it may be. He's thinking about their eternity. And I think uh, if you're going to be a good model, a good model has right priorities. They, they think about what's important. What's important in life? What's important for the salvation of your kids? Okay, so as we think about this, then the next one is in chapter 11, verse 1, is a good model, is a good follower. There's a misunderstanding about leadership, that when you get into a place of leadership, if you graduate far enough up the chain, you don't have to follow anybody else's directions anymore. 
Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Like, if I could just be the boss, nobody will tell me what to do. I think my dad had that mentality many years ago, and he found out that when you work for yourself, you don't work for yourself. You work for other people. Is that true? Uh, the president, if you get the highest office in the land, oh, my goodness. You don't want to live in the fishbowl he lives in. Okay? I'm not taking a political view here. I'm just saying whoever's in the office, they sit in a fishbowl with everybody's eyes on them. And criticism, you know where the approval rating usually sits? Somewhere around 50%, which means any day of the week, 50% of the people don't like you. How's that for living? Okay? And they're the ones who determine whether you're going to get voted in again. Just a thought. So the point that I'm trying to make is that we follow. If we're going to lead, we have to follow. And Paul says here, follow me as I follow Christ. If you're going to be a good leader in any Christian way, it's going to be because you're first a follower of Jesus. Come on, that's really good, isn't it? Let's take that in. Take a moment to let that register with us. If you want to go to 1 Corinthians 4 while you're thinking about that, it would be a good uh, moment to switch here as we look at another aspect of this model behavior. A good model in chapter 4, verse 16, is um, they become what they expect others to be. Chapter uh, 4, verse 16, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. He's wanting others. Paul is saying, I want you to be like what I am in this particular area. He's not asking them to depart from all of their personality and like you got to check out of of your likes and dislikes. He's saying in terms of this Christian character and practice, uh, I'm going to be a certain way and I want you to follow that example. So we have to be like what we want others to be. If you think about where your life is, you need, I think you need to ask yourself and and I think this is true in any area of leadership. Are you where you want others to be? If you're a dad, are you where you want your kids to be at your age? Okay, and I, I know there's a little bit of a struggle there because one of the things I think any good leader wants is for those that follow them to surpass them. Is that true? Like we want them to surpass where we've come to, and that's that's the goal. But at least the minimal ought to be, do I want them at least to attain to this level and, and live there, live to the highest level that we can? And then chapter 4, verse 17 here of 1 Corinthians, a good model, is a consistent in word and in deed. And we read this just a moment ago. Paul says, I urge you as, as a father to children, imitate me. And then he says, for this reason I've sent Timothy to you, my son, whom I love, who's faithful in the Lord, and he's going to remind you of my way of life. That's a strange thing for Timothy to be sent to do. Let me tell you about how Paul's living. Such a strange thing to be able to do. But he's going to say, uh, to tell you of my way of life, which agrees with what I teach everywhere. That's the important fact here is that Paul is saying, look, my life and my words match. That's a great definition of integrity is for our life and our words to match one another. Okay, a good model is consistent in word and behavior. And then finally, in Philippians chapter 3, you can turn there if you like, verse 17 and 19 uh, through 19. A good model stands out as distinct. He, he says, follow me, uh, imitate my way of life and others who follow the way that I do because there are many who 
uh, are enemies of the cross. Their God is their belly. It's not Jesus. Their God is their, their belly. I may say appetites there, but anytime it says something like belly, it's talking about appetites, that that's what drives them. It's not love for God. It's what, do I, what am I passionate about? What, is, what, am I, what do I desire at this moment? That determines who they are. That's their Lord. And he says many people live that way. Their God is their appetite. Their destiny is destruction. Their mind is on earthly things, not heavenly things. And so a good model finally here will stand out as distinct. And that's number six. So you put in your number seven. And then um, I want to tell you something about my dad as a kind of tribute to him. And uh, then I'm going to close. All right. So um, I know that some of you have heard this before. And so forgive me for saying it again. But it speaks to to something that's really shaped who I am. My dad, um, sometime back in the 60s, started Kerr Construction Company, his own company. And for the reason I told you, he didn't want to work for other people. (laughs) And he found out that he was going to have to work for other people, but kind of on his own terms a little bit. So he started Kerr Construction Company. And one of the first jobs that he got, he told me he had a saw and a hammer, and that was it. And there was was an industrial plant in town called Vulcan, and uh, they hired him on to do some work. And my dad had no experience at bidding, and so he way underbid the job. And he got somewhere in the middle of it, and it was going to cost him more than he was going to make. And the guy called him in and says, George, you're losing money on this job. You need to adjust your bid. He said, no, I told you I would do it for that, and so I'll do it for that. And the guy said, well, you take another job then. Can I give you another job in addition to this one? And my dad took another job, and he kept taking jobs from them for 40 years because they knew he was a man of integrity. And what he cared about was his name, that his name was a good name. And my brother one time asked him, because throughout the 40 years, my dad usually, I think the most he ever, that I ever remember him having is himself and two other guys okay, as his employees. That was it. Small company most of the time. My brother's like, Dad, you could make this a big company. You could grow this and make this big. And he said, well, why would I want to do that? Well, you can make more money. And he started to explain how he could do that. And my dad said to him, with all of that, Mark, comes more headaches. I don't need bigger. I just need enough to provide for my family through all these years. Okay? And that was his model. And here's the thing that occurred to me is that what he cared about was not the, the quantity of his company. He cared about the quality of his company. And he always had work. He was never out of work because he always did good work. One, uh, one story about that you probably have heard too, but um, we were building walls. This house, I grew up in Kansas. This house had been hit by a tornado, and it was a guy that we knew from church, and he asked us if we'd come and rebuild his garage. And so we're rebuilding the garage, and as you're doing that, you're framing up the walls, and Sometimes when there's a header, I don't know if you know what a header is, they've got these little boards that go above the header. And they're not, they're, they're important to structure, but because they're so short, they don't exactly have to be super straight. They just need to be in place. Okay, and uh, the guy that was working for my dad, he's putting these boards in all crooked. And my dad walks past and he goes, you're doing that crooked. And the guy says to him, there's sheetrock going over this, George. Nobody will ever know. And he said, I'll know fix it. And he made him fix it. It wasn't important to the structure. It was going to stand up just fine for the next tornado. But (laughs) 
He wanted to know when he went, laid his head on his bed at night that those boards behind that sheetrock that nobody would ever see were straight. And that mattered to him. And it, it makes me think about something uh, for me that matters. And I've been saying this over and over again. I think it's true, is that we're not, we're not trying to build a big church here. We want to be as under my leadership as leader, what I care about is that we're a good church. Let's be a good church, okay? If God wants us to grow, he can grow us. But let's be a good church, okay? And let's do the things God's asking us to do. Let's be the family of God like he wants us to be and not worry about size. Let's worry about being the quality people God is calling us to be. The other thing that my dad taught me is longevity makes a difference. And... um, he worked the same job. He didn't like his job many days. We have a, a new <laughs> millennial type approach to life is you got to like your job every all the time or you need to find something else. You don't. I think he went to his job most days not liking it. Some days he really loved it. Other days he didn't like it. And here's the thing that occurs to me in this is that um, he continued to do what he knew to do to provide for his family. Okay. And it mattered. Longevity mattered. You'd find my brother is a pastor too. Some of you know that. But uh, this year he'll have been at the same church for 30 years. So, uh, you know, there's others that have gone longer in that. But you find in my siblings that they've stayed at similar jobs for long periods of time and it's paid off in the long run. And I'm not suggesting that we have to stay in a terrible job. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that there is something about faithfulness and perseverance and longevity in terms of staying in times of leadership. You're going to find in any given venture that you have in life, if it's parenting, I'm sure this is true, that there are good days and there are bad days. And sometimes there are whole seasons that are bad. And faithfulness requires that you don't check out when it's bad. Faithfulness requires that you stand in and, and, and be counted for. You stay at your post. If you're parenting, if you're in any place of leadership, there's going to be good days and bad days. And longevity matters and faithfulness matters. That you're there matters. And the last thing, there's more that he taught me, but these are the things that are relevant for this message, is that having a trustworthy name is important. That that people know you do good work. It matters. It matters that you do good work. And all those things are things that I learned from my dad. He was a good example, and he passed on that wisdom. Let me mention seven, are you ready for this? Quickly, things that will help improve your lead. It'll strengthen your lead if you're a parent. Number one, establish priorities for your home. If you're a parent, kids don't establish the priorities for your home. You do. Okay? I challenge you with that. You establish the priorities. Don't let them come accidentally because you will not be happy with the outcome if you let culture determine the priorities for your home, the schedule, uh, the kids, friends, neighbors, other families, you establish the priorities for your home. Number two is live consistently with your principles because if anybody can spot a fake, it's a kid. I don't know how they do it, but they know. They know how to see through all that. Live consistently with your principles and then three, pray for your family. Pray. Pray and pray. It's not a five-minute prayer here and there. There needs to be, like, intercession with sweat. 
You know what I'm talking about? The kind of prayer that says, I don't need to eat today. My kids need to grow up knowing Jesus. Okay? Pray for your family. Four, uh, know your stuff. Know your stuff. And if you're a dad, you're a teacher. If you're a mom, you're a teacher. You might say, well, I'm not a teacher. You're a teacher. They're going to learn something from you. It's going to be either good or bad. It's going to be kind of half-baked or not. So the quality of education you give. Uh, you might say, I'm not a reader. You don't have to be a reader today. I wish you were. I, I'm like Paul with speaking in tongues on this. I wish that you all read, <laughs> you know. I think that's important. I really do. It does something to our way of thinking. It changes our mind. If that's outside the realm of possibility, I can't tell you how many great resources there are out there to help us be informed about what's going on in our world. We need to be. You need to know your stuff because your kids are going to hear it if they go anywhere in culture, and you can't shelter them from that. And you shouldn't shelter them from everything because someday they're getting – this is the way God designed it. They're going to move out of your house. Okay, you can't hang on to those little bundles of joy forever. They're going to grow up, and they're going to move out, and they're going to find the world, and they're going to find the world either that you've taught them or that they've discovered on their own. And they better be prepared. And I've noticed this. Kids who are overly sheltered often rebel. There needs to be a balance in this. Protection, yes, but you also need to help them be exposed. I'm not speaking from parental experience. I'm speaking as a person who knew a lot of kids in church who grew up Christian who, for some reason or or other, they weren't prepared to meet the world. And we want to be able to prepare them to do that. So know your stuff. Number five, talk about what's going on. Don't just assume that they know. You're going to have to talk about some uncomfortable things, I'm sure. Uh, But talk about it. Listen, they're... This whole transgender thing is weird. And kids need to hear from parents what the Bible says about this and who they really are and not try to figure it out on their own, not hear it from culture. All of the stuff that this world has lost, it's gone off the rails. And if you've got a moral compass, you have a responsibility to our culture to stand in and proclaim it. Okay, and then six, uh, practice forgiveness. You can't let bitterness grow up in your home. Okay, practice forgiveness and be honest when you need it. Okay, parents sometimes mess up. The worst thing you can do is cover it up and act like you didn't do it. The best thing you can do is say, I did, I messed up, and I'm sorry for that, and own up to it. And I think you can find forgiveness in that. I'm not, I'm just, I'm saying that I think it's always better to to own up to it and get it forgiven and try to move on and, and do better. And then, Number seven, and you're here this morning, so you already got to check in this box. Connect with the church. We need each other. Dads need other dads to talk to. And I'm not talking about, like, some psychological therapeutic support group. Maybe you do need that. But I'm just talking about, like, we need to encourage other guys and ladies. We need to encourage. And we all need to encourage one another because this is a big battle. And we need to know that our family is not the only one fighting this. Come on. True? Okay. If you have a family in today's climate, you should pray and do everything you can. Uh, God has given us the answer to this. God, first of all, he's, uh, he's the answer to this. He's given his church and he's given the family to respond. 
Uh, as I said, this world's gone crazy. We need people who will step up and be in leadership and be willing to say along with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Dads need to say to their kids, I'm going to follow Christ. You need to follow, follow my example. Now, this is not a guaranteed checklist that's like the technique of success. Some parents do this, kids still rebel. Some rebel and they go live in the enemy's camp for a little while and then they come back. Okay? So let's not give up hope there. I'm not suggesting to you these seven things are the answer to every situation in life. Big challenges arise and these are complicated issues, but these are like the bare minimal things that ought to happen, don't you think? And then in addition to that, God gives God gives grace for every challenge, doesn't he? And he gives wisdom for it. And if you lean on him, I think you'll find he meets you there. Um, I don't think that we need to be scared, and I don't think we need to feel threatened. I think that God is the winner in this battle, and we need to know what we have, which is the true answer. This world has nothing. You think If you think you're going to go out there and find something else that's better, you're not. They're reeling. Right now, we're hearing some people, I won't mention their names because I disagree with some of the things they say, but we're finding people that are atheists and agnostics that are going, you know what, this church thing makes a lot of sense. This Christian thing makes a lot of sense. There's a, a British lady who's out there that's a young journalist, and she's talking about how the sex, uh, sexual revolution has been terrible for women. I mean, uh, it's obvious when you look at all the facts. It has been. Well, we just throw off the bonds of marriage. You know who that hurts the most? Women. There's a, there's a guy out there who is a prison psychiatrist, and he talks about all the things, the, uh, the, the benefits of being religious. He, he, for whatever reason, he feels he can't believe. But he sees the value in everything that we do. And I'm not suggesting they're right in all their views. I'm saying that, look, we have people that are staying on the outside that are going, there's some common sense to what's going on within the church. And how much more when we know it's true? Come on. So let's not be afraid and feel like we've got some inferior philosophy. Christianity will meet any challenge in the marketplace. It will. And so let's stand up and be proud of what God has done for us and what he can do for our families. Amen. If you're a dad, be a man of God. Don't, you don't have to. I know that we get this John Wayne picture in our mind that this is what men need to be like. Look, be a David, not in his sin, <laughs> in his righteousness. David could go out to battle, and then he could weep tears before God, and there's no shame in that. He could dance before the Lord with all of his might, and he could whip 200 Philistines, you know? So let's be men of God that are like that. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.